Welcome back to On the Prowl, presented by Cardiac Cats. I'm your host, Jacob Shorba, and today I'm joined once again by my brother Josh, a fellow member of the Duval Faithful. Today we're going to talk about your Jacksonville Jaguars and their huge, sensational victory over the Dallas Cowboys. So is it safe to say you're feeling pretty good right now? I'm feeling excellent. Thank you for having me on your podcast again. I appreciate it. I feel like the Jaguars have entered a new era of football and to be honest, I don't think that this team is even recognizable anymore. Yeah, I I have a really hard time like coming to terms with that cuz I'm just expecting the return of old Jacksonville every week. You know, I see them go down like 17 and I'm, you know, getting up from the couch, walking upstairs, and then I got to remind myself uh right after I do that, I'm like, "Wait, this is uh this is not the 2020 or the 2021 Jaguars. This is the 2022 Jaguars, and they can win these games. And sure enough, you go sit down and they score three touchdowns in like six or seven minutes and take the lead. And you're like, well, I thought I was watching a Chiefs game, but yeah, I feel pretty dang good right now. I'm I'm crossing my fingers. We're from a two percent chance to a 44 percent chance to make the playoffs. So things look amazing right now in Duval. Which is a significant leap considering the five-game losing streak this team was on earlier this year. And to have come so far in such a short period of time is really a testament to Doug Peterson instilling a new vision for this team. Taking something that was so incredibly broken and building a new foundation, a new vision, and getting these players to truly believe that the best is yet to come. And one of the more notable things that I've seen just in this week that's been so cool has been major media analysts and experts for the NFL, such as Nick Wright, Colin Cowherd, Shannon Sharp, and Skip Bayless. And they are all in and convinced of this franchise's, not just their notable turnaround, but their competitive fire. They've particularly praised the likes of Trevor Lawrence and Doug Peterson, Nick Wright even suggested that outside of Mahomes, Trevor Lawrence would be his first quarterback of choice to lead a hypothetical franchise for the next five years. That's over Burrow, Allen, Hurts, Lamar, Justin Herbert. That's just incredible. Yeah, and I would have to agree with them. I think when you look at Lawrence, he's already competing with all these other guys in the NFL, even Mahomes right now. Um, but I think with Mahomes, you know, people are aware that his ceiling is pretty much unlimited. And it's also the same for Lawrence. Um, we don't know how much better this guy can get. And, you know, you see, like, the amazing plays on Sunday, but you also see, like, some plays where, you know, oh, he just missed a guy, didn't see him open, and that could have been, you know, a touchdown or something. It's like, we don't even notice that until we do film study after the game. And it's like, okay, so we're complaining about four touchdowns and 300-something yards. You know, it's kind of obnoxious, but the ceiling's a lot higher, and then you bring in Calvin Ridley next year and whatever else they do. Yeah, the the future looks bright, and I'd have to agree with Nick on that. Um, and, yeah, he's definitely fun to watch because he doesn't just hate the Jaguars. So Yes. Yeah. It's, well, been, one, it's been one heck of a rookie year for Trevor Lawrence. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that sophomore rookie year is looking good. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, we'll go ahead. Uh, before we get all into the Duval, we're going to start things off and talk about what's happened around the NFL this last week because there is a lot 
that took place. And it all started off, um, I guess, technically on Thursday, but I'm going to say it was Saturday with Jeff Saturday's Colts taking a 33 point lead against Minnesota. I remember seeing that and hearing it. I was at work and I get off and like, oh man, it wasn't even an hour later. The game's nearly tied and Minnesota forces it into overtime and beats them in overtime. And yep. yeah, a 39 to 36 victory, biggest uh, comeback in NFL history. I, I don't even know what to say. I mean, uh, if that doesn't like break your franchise, I, uh, maybe it was broken already in Indy. Yeah, it, it certainly could have been. Uh, the Vikings are looking just for for overcoming a thirty-three point deficit. Like, not only is that NFL history, it's the biggest deficit for a team to ever come from behind and come back and win the game. And I think that's a testament to the no quit that the Vikings offense and defense has because any other team could easily be staring down that barrel and thinking they don't have a chance. But with the amount of playmakers and Kevin O'Connell's vision for that team and how much it's already shifted and changed, Kirk Cousins having a career year and all the weapons that he has available, I mean, it really is just a testament to how far they've come since the moving on from Mike Zimmer. Yeah, they chose a really good year to catch fire for sure. I mean, it's uh... – it's definitely been the right time. You got Green Bay out of the picture. Detroit had such a bad start they couldn't crawl back in it. And then the Bears mm-hmm. are the Bears right now. Um, it really raises the question, though, with Minnesota, because we've seen kind of the the opposite of this, where they got slaughtered by Dallas. You know, are they dangerous or are they pretender? And I find myself kind of feeling like they're both, like, if they can collapse in the game, they could choke in the playoffs. They could also go on a miraculous run and have a bunch of come from behind victories because that team believes in itself and has the faith. But I know yes. for sure I don't want to play them in the postseason. If I am any team in the NFC, I do not want to touch them with a 10-foot pole. No, I agree. I think uh... – it's going to come down to how Kirk Cousins plays in the big moments. He's had some big moments this year, but once you start to get deeper in the playoffs, you know, the pretenders get weeded out and the contenders, you know, prove themselves. And with what Kirk Cousins is surrounded by, I mean, he's got Dalvin Cook. He's got Justin Jefferson, who's had a huge year. He's still got Adam Thielen. They traded for TJ Hawkinson from the Lions, who's been incredible. I mean, there's not a lot on the offensive side of the ball that's not to like. The defense still has Harrison Smith. They got Patrick Peterson at corner, Danielle Hunter, Eric Kendricks, and even more. And Minnesota has all the tools and all the firepower that they need on both sides of the ball to make it to the Super Bowl. I think it really it, it comes down to how Kirk Cousins manages when when they get deeper in the playoffs and can he come up big for the team i think it definitely comes down to their quarterback play yeah and uh unfortunately if you're a vikings fan that might be scary but yes I, i'm sure it's heck rooting for him i hope they pull it off so 
Um, <clears throat> another story of the week, maybe not uh, focused on as much, but I know for myself it was something I took note of. I actually got to see a little bit of Justin Fields for the first time in a while. I've seen some of the highlights, but um, you know he had one of the craziest like quarterback runs I've ever seen. I mean, he nearly got yes. the end zone on it, but it really it, it it's so uh it's so weird to watch because you see a player who is so game breaking on the ground and all the extra things like he is better than I would say anyone else in the league at those and it is it is his sophomore year yep but at the same time he hasn't like thrown for 300 yards in a game ever He's most of the time not hitting 200. He, It's like, I don't know how to feel about him. Like, if he could just figure out how to have a good passing game to add to his repertoire, this guy would be, like, top five quarterback in the NFL, or top ten at least. But yep. it's like, he's just, he's so great at the extra things, but the main thing, he's lackluster. Not saying he cannot do it at all. I think he will long term, but it's it's such an interesting conundrum they have in Chicago. I agree. I think one of the biggest things that Fields has going for him is the dual threat that he is as a passer and a rusher. Right now he sits at 976 rushing yards on the year. He's headed for Lamar Jackson's NFL rushing yards record of 1,206 yards. And they got three games left, so he's either going to come close or surpass it. But you see quarterbacks that are dual threats like Lamar Jackson and Jalen Hurts and the level of success that they could have. It's hard to imagine Fields not coming close to that level with the talent that he has, the mental toughness, and the no-quit attitude. And... I also was there to watch that play. I was showing it to my coworkers because they hadn't seen it. And I couldn't believe that they caught him stepping out of bounds at the nine-yard line. I thought he went all the way. But, man, he evaded like four or five tackles on his way to the end zone, which was just incredible. The first guy, I could not believe he did not wrestle Justin Fields to the ground because he's so much bigger than Fields is. But Fields wrestled his way out of it and just took off on the ground. And I think... Chicago fans, I think they got some reason to be excited. Yeah, and I hope they are because they haven't had much to be excited for for a long time, and I am genuinely rooting for that franchise. But, yeah, I think the Bears need to do a lot this offseason surrounding the talent in the receiving game and just give them a, a chance on offense. You know, if your defense sucks next year, boo-hoo. You're, you're like the second or third worst team this year. It's it, It's not going to be easy to make it to the playoffs. It's possible as we are seeing right now, but they've done so much to pull apart, like the star power on their defense that honestly, I would still just focus on offense and see what you got in fields. Cause that's, that's your cornerstone. Yep. If, if it works with him, he's the cornerstone. And I think he will, because when you have that rushing ability, you open up the defense, you got to have quarterback spies. The edges have to contain, because if they can't do that, Fields going to break to the outside and he's going to get a huge rush. So he does a lot to help out his passing game, but we haven't seen the success there. So we'll have to uh, have to evaluate that over the rest of this year and especially next year.
um, I don't know how long we'll talk about this because there's not a ton to it, but just absolutely embarrassing what happened in, uh, I don't know if it, I think it was at, in Los Angeles or sorry, Las Vegas, the Raiders and Patriots, one of the dumbest plays I've ever seen in my life. I mean, Jacoby Myers, well, first of all, to start the Patriots are trying to get a touchdown when the game is tied by throwing like laterals and trick plays and stuff. And the time is expired and Jacoby Myers starts running backwards, runs backwards for like 15 yards or something mm-hmm. and throws it to a Raiders defender, Chandler Jones, former Patriot. Mm-hmm. And so he just catches it. Stiff arms, Mac Jones into the ground. Price sends that guy to the shadow realm. He just <laughs> runs in for a touchdown. The Raiders win. Yeah, I mean, for the Raiders, I guess it was a beautiful play, right? You got to look at the optimist side of it. Beautiful. You know the feeling you get when you see your ex being happy with someone else? I kind of feel like that's how the Patriots felt looking at Chandler Jones on that play. So I think that's how they feel looking at a lot of players. Right. And uh, Bailey Zappe. There's a lot of people who have left there. Bailey Zappe was also treading on Twitter right after the game. Couldn't imagine why. <laughs> yeah. Also, yeah, they were probably hoping that uh, Mac Jones had an injury. <laughs> I, I also took notice that uh, Emperor Sidious didn't seem at all pleased in his post game conference, and the hate was flowing through him very much. The yeah, d- you actually watched that? Yes, I did. Oh, man. Yeah, he was very – I mean, Belichick's always short with reporters and just straight to the point because he just always looks annoyed. But he was just – you could just see it in his face. He just did not want to be there. Yeah, it's it's hard when you, when you watch everything you're doing just crumble, especially in that kind of fashion. I don't blame him for not wanting to be there, but – I'm kind of shocked we haven't seen the uh, NFL notification on my phone yet that says Jacoby Myers has been released from the New England Patriots. I'm sure I, it might it might be coming. Going to keep it together. The last interesting yeah, maybe maybe they're trying to work out the salary cap. Yes, definitely. <laughs> the last thing I had to say about it, and this was really interesting. Colin Cowherd suggested after the game was over that. The Patriots, one of the biggest reasons they're falling apart is because of Belichick. And he basically inferred that he's a raging narcissist and believed that his system and his way of doing things and operating the team was unbeatable. And Cowherd also happened to detail that he strongly felt that that crept over to Tom Brady's decision to leave for Tampa Bay and move on. And I think reality seems to be hitting hard as the Patriots continue to implode. Yeah, I quite frankly agree with that. And I think I saw that same clip as well because I was watching some stuff um, after week 15 because, you know, I was in a pretty good mood to watch it. And yeah, I've heard like they've got a lot of family members involved in the team. Mm-hmm. So there's a little bit of that going on. I can't remember which word it is. for Nepotism? That. Um nepotism yeah i almost said simony but that would have been way off um so there there's a lot of weird stuff going on there they've got the um they've got the playbooks from 1987 that they're running um they refuse to change in an nfl environment that's changing and 
this is where you get, you know, and you see that that team was carried by Tom Brady, much like you're seeing in Tampa Bay this year. Brady's not perfect. He makes mistakes, but there's no doubt he's still a really good quarterback. And if, if he makes the postseason, you know, he can take you somewhere. But that Tampa team, oh, my gosh, if if they didn't have him, I think they would be like one in 14 right now. Yeah, Tom, Tom Brady is actually third in league passing yards right now. It's hard to believe after the season they've had, but it's true. Yeah, it's it's nuts. Absolutely nuts. If you looked at his receiver core and you thought it was like 2015, you'd understand that, but it ain't 2015 anymore. Nope. So, um, last topic of the weekly recap, and this will kind of segment us into the Jaguars talk. Um, the Jaguars, massive comeback win against the Cowboys and the way they ended it with a pick six in overtime the second interception by Rayshon Jenkins returns it over 50 yards for a touchdown game set match Jaguars are six and eight and they look like they might make the playoffs and not not even a might it looks like they will make the playoffs when you're looking at how Tennessee is doing too how do you feel about that right I think now? the Jaguars are the most incredible six and eight team I've ever seen I can't think of a six and eight team in recent memory that had this much fire, fire to win and potential, and just felt like their ceiling was truly limitless. And there's no doubt in my mind they're taking the AFC South at this point and going to the playoffs to host a, a wild card game at a TIA, TIAA Bank Stadium, and I'm really excited for that. I think, I think it's really Rashawn Jenkins. Give him a lot of credit for. Two interceptions, 18 tackles. That dude had a game. I mean, seriously, he had a game when he needed it with safety being a question over the offseason, if they were going to address that or not. I mean, he gave them a lot of reasons to, you know, consider keeping him there. And I can't thank him enough for that last play. And it's hard to stop watching that last play just to relive it over and over again. Yeah. And I don't want to get too far ahead of myself on everything we're going to talk about, but I will say, I think when you're seeing like Evan Ingram step up last week and you see Rayshon Jenkins do it now, I think as fans, we've got to kind of change our mindset towards how we're evaluating these players for the off season and who we want to keep, who we want to get rid of, because we're starting to see like really good coaching revive some careers here. Like Rayshon Jenkins would have been a pretty easy choice to cut but now we're seeing him play really yes. good we already saw him get better early in the year with just being great at everything outside of coverage but now in coverage he's getting very better Darius Williams not a guy we can cut this offseason but he played great mm-hmm. yesterday or not yesterday on uh, Sunday and so we've got to kind of look at the roster now and think okay where are these players right now we can't just judge them off of 2021 or even early 2022 i think some guys might need a second mm-hmm. chance as we see this team finally clicking and putting it together because there's no doubt the talents there there's no doubt that these positions have answers maybe the only one that doesn't is interior um defensive line but there's people there and, and i guess nickel corner throw that out there too but you can you can win without that. We've seen for it. sure. So that that's how I feel about it. Jacksonville, they're they're turning into a dangerous playoff contender right now, and doesn't mean they're going to go far. But 
I wouldn't want to play him, much like I wouldn't want to play the Vikings or the Chiefs or the Bengals or any of those teams. Um, 49ers as well, or Eagles. There's there's some teams that are going to be scary, and you don't want to match up against. And I think even if Jacksonville makes the playoffs at 9-8 and eight or 8-9, eight and nine, I'm not looking at the record. I'm looking at who the team is now, and that team is a lot better than that record is going to end. Definitely. There's a lot of reason for optimism for the Jacksonville Jaguars. Uh, also, I saw the forecast came in on Trevor Lawrence's feature. And it is a 100% chance of being elite. Thought I'd throw that out there. Oh, I I thought you were going to say 100% chance of sunshine. Oh, man. I missed there. that one. Still being elite is, yeah. I guess it's second it's best okay. behind sunshine. <laughs> it's okay. It gave me a really good idea. There you go. So, <laughs> maybe a shirt design. <laughs> All right, well... Um, we've already started talking about those Jags, but we're going to move into our main topic of the show. All things Duval. All right. So we've got four things we're going to talk about today, mainly. The first one I want to talk about, um, if Jacksonville is able to finish job this year and win the AFC South, whether that's 8-9 or winning out 9-8, however they do it, they're going to be hosting a playoff game. We know that for sure if they make the playoffs. Do you think this team has a ceiling in the playoffs, or do you think this is more of a, okay, we made it in, that's awesome, we overexceeded expectations, you know, we're probably not going to go far, but we're building for 2023. That's a good question. One that it's kind of hard to have an answer to, but I do know that Doug Peterson has this team believing that they can go head-to-head with any team and beat anyone. His spirit, his character, faith, his attitude, his persistence, it's infectious to that locker room. And you see it every single week. I mean, the Cowboys were one of the favorites to go to the Super Bowl in the NFC. And the Jaguars just managed to, to beat them in overtime by, by sticking together. You know, it's, not, it's obviously been a roller coaster season. It hasn't been easy. But the way they've regrouped since week nine, I mean, it has just been incredible to see what this team can accomplish when they put their minds to it. I think... Um, yeah, Go have ahead. you seen Okay. Oh, uh, I was going to ask. Have you seen any of the comparisons they're making to 1996 right now? Okay. Yeah, you'll want to hear this. So, the Jaguars in 1996, and this will seem very similar um to what has happened this year. They started the season at mm-hmm. 3 and 6. For us it was 3 and 7. They went into the bye. Out of the bye, they played the Baltimore Ravens, I believe at home, too, and beat them in a mm. really close matchup. And then after that, they went on the road. They got blown out by a team. Following that, the Jaguars won five straight games to go 9-7 and seven to qualify into the playoffs. And then they went deep in the playoffs. They made it all the way to the AFC wow. Championship. And then they lost, I believe, to the Patriots that year. Because we played the Patriots twice in championship games. And that was, you know, 1996. That's uh, 26 years ago. But does that sound It does, especially Baltimore, the similarity there. I do hope that if uh, they go that far, they keep going and just win the whole thing. Hope that's the difference from 1996. But go... 
going back oh, to before, know. I really this team is peaking and coming alive at the most opportune of times. I don't think there's any team in this league that Jacksonville is afraid of right now. I mean, truly, I, th- I really think that the belief has has carried over that much to where these players are simply that every week of practice is just how can I elevate my play or my my style even more, you know, to help the team. It's so team oriented, and it's just really cool to watch them stick together. And man, I would be I would be kind of nervous if I was facing the Jaguars at a time like this. And Trevor Lawrence's play has been number one among all QBs uh, since week nine now officially. So no question there that they have their answer at quarterback, which is really cool. Yeah, I I agree that I don't think there's a ceiling for the Jaguars. And what is so good about this year is that I don't see a single team in the AFC who has been able to play just consistently Uh a complete game. Every single team has a flaw. They choke. Uh Every single one of them. Except maybe the Chiefs. They don't choke. They usually finish. Um, But the Bills have choked. They've looked not that great recently. Josh Allen is not playing good football. Um, he's getting better, but he's still not where you want him to be. Patrick Mahomes, he had the three interception performance the week before. He played much better this last week, but Houston put the Chiefs in overtime. And they aren't division rivals like we are. And that game just, I can give a little bit of uh, leniency to the Chiefs, but it's still the Texans, and you got to take care of business. And it's going to be the same expectation for us in Week 17. I see a path to where Jacksonville could win all these games, but I'm not expecting it. I'm, I'm not sitting here saying, okay, Jaguars are making the Super Bowl, lock it, Duval to the bowl. But um, I absolutely will have faith every game that this team can win it. And even if they get knocked out early, um, as Mercy, I will just assume she's yelling Duval in the background. Um, if they get knocked out early, mm-hmm. I'm still going to be happy. You know, because I know this team did a lot this year. I know they're going to be better next year, and they overexceed expectations. I agree. I think it doesn't always come down to who has the most talented roster in the league. I think it's about who has the most willpower, the most heart, and the most relentlessness. Yeah, they're number one on that list right now. I think that's very fair to say. So, yeah, the the next thing I want to talk about is uh, some of the extensions this offseason, the contract situations. Because like we mentioned earlier, you have Evan Ingram, Rayshon Jenkins, who you would have been very questionable about Ingram. And you probably would have cut Rayshon for the cap savings, like, I don't know, three weeks ago or so. Um, but now it's very different because you see those guys breaking out. You see them playing really well. And so, you know, there's a question of whether they should be brought back or not. Um, and I think we're going to see this with a lot of players where they're going to start to step up late in the year because playoff teams, that happens. So the question is... uh you know, should they be brought back next year? And I, I personally think that both of them should be, even if you got to negotiate. 
So I absolutely want to keep both Evan Ingram and Rayshon Jenkins. Ingram's stats aren't eye-popping, but he is definitely a reliable target of Lawrence's and a man of character. He's exactly what the locker room needs. His big week against Tennessee was an indicator that this team should keep him moving forward. Considering he's five years younger than Travis Kelsey, whom that game reminded me of, I'd say he's right in his prime. Rayshon had a career game with 18 tackles and two interceptions, including the game-winning pick six. He's 11th in forced fumbles in the league and 13th in passes defended, which isn't great, but it's above average. I do see room for improvement for him and reasons for optimism if the team keeps him going forward. Yeah, and with Rayshon, the question isn't really like, is he worth the $10 million that his whole cap hit is, but it's really, is he worth you know the $6 million that you would save? That's really the question for you know other guys like Roy Robinson-Harris or Shaquille Griffin. I think there's very clear answers on them right now, but that's really the question we got to ask ourselves. And would I pay $6 million for a safety who just did that, who literally just won us a game? So would I pay $6 million for a win? Yes, absolutely. I would do that. I think it makes sense to bring both those guys back. But we can't um, overreact. We can't just sign someone to a, a super deal because they had one big game. You know, we got to see it consistently now. We got to see them play well. Not that they're going to consistently have pick sixes to win every game. But, you know, that play needs to stay there. It still needs to be really good. And so I think they've uh, right now put themselves in a spot to be retained next year, but there's more they got to do. Um, the one thing Jacksonville needs to negotiate or sorry, navigate throughout this is finding a way to save enough money to where not only they can sign the draft class, but they need a big impact player in the draft or not in the draft, sorry, free agency. Um, the big name that comes to mind for me is Javon Hargrave. Because he's probably going to hit the market. And what Jacksonville needs on defense, I think, the most is an interior pass rusher. And in the draft, I don't see where we're going to be in a great spot to get someone great there. I think those positions you want to get early. And Jalen Carter is not going to be available to a team that made the playoffs or barely missed the playoffs. So it's kind of hard to... uh, address that in the draft in my opinion and so i would prefer to go after javon hargrave and sign him to a backload contract but even for backloading you need the money available so the jaguars will need to navigate that but if they can do that and if they can bring back players i'm all on board it's going to take a lot of creativity but i think they can get it done we've already seen that creativity and things like bringing back calvin ridley um and just the different contracts they signed last year. I agree with that. And I think Hardgrave would be an exceptional pickup. He's also got the, I don't know if he played with Doug Peterson when he was in Philadelphia. How long has he been in Philadelphia for? I think like three years or something. Um, He was brought in pretty late in Peterson's tenure. So I don't think he was there for the Super Bowl. Yeah, probably would have just missed him. Yeah, I think he was drafted by Pittsburgh in like 2016. It was something like that. But he's a dang good player. I mean, he's right now probably third among interior pass rushers behind Aaron Donald and Chris Jones. 
and he's not crazy far off. So I think getting a player like that would be huge for the defense. Big, good veteran put on the offense or sorry, the defensive line. And yeah, definitely go to town with that. All right. So the next thing I want to talk about is the Cam Robinson injury. So obviously that's a huge blow to the Jaguars. Um, something that was kind of missed in the big victory on Sunday, but you know, we all kind of came to know after the game and on Monday when they got the news that he's pretty much out for the year. Um, it's a bad situation, but I do feel like there could be some clarity brought through this because now, you know, instead of going in the off season and saying, okay, we've got Walker little, can we start him anywhere? We don't really know what to do with him. We don't know if he's good. He gets a trial run at left tackle during some really big games. And he's also, if we make the playoffs, going to get some time in the playoffs to start. So we really get to see, is Walker a little ready for this? Can he take over at right tackle next year? And so it should be a, a big question that gets answered in the rest of the season and for the playoffs, hopefully. Um, that's just my thoughts on that. I don't know if you have any thoughts on the Cam Robinson injury. Well, first I'd like to say that I wish him a speedy recovery. It will definitely give the Jags organization an opportunity to see what they have in Walker Little. Trevor Lawrence had high praise for him this week in his post-game press conference, detailing that Little stepped up huge and played from both the right tackle and left tackle side. The only issue I really see is Cam is taking up a sizable chunk of the team's salary cap on a three-year $54 million deal. He's definitely overpaid. And I was looking at what Walker cost the team between 2022 through 2024, and it's a little under $5 million, so it's a much cheaper option. And if Little turns out to be decent and solidifies one of the tackle spots, whether it be the right or the left, uh, the Jags could opt to save some of their cap by moving on from Cam in the near or far future. Yeah, I think Cam Robinson would make sense to be cut after the next season. And there's more they can do as well to um, kind of challenge him and address that issue. I think even if Walker Little plays really well the rest of this year, I still think the Jaguars should draft someone like Paris Johnson or Peter Skronsky in the first round if a player like that is available. I've got to do my research on other tackles, but I think it would be very good for this franchise to bring in someone who could learn the first year, um, probably play left guard, ideally. Um, Johnson and Skronsky would be very ideal for that with their size and the fact that they've played there before, they know how to do the position, but you can transition them over to tackle after the year if Robinson isn't good enough. Um, essentially, if Robinson is not worth $16.5 million in 2024. So I, I think this kind of offers us some good... Um, it's not what you want. You would prefer not to be in this situation, but you got to look at the bright side of things. So I, I'm i going to look at it like that. I'm going to evaluate Walker Little, make sure he's doing well. He did fine from what I saw, um, especially going up against Micah Parsons uh, coming off the bench. So, you know, we'll, we'll have to keep watching that. The, uh, the last thing I'll talk about here is the upcoming Jets game, and this will transition us into the week to come. But... I feel like the Jaguars are going to be at a bit of a disadvantage this week. It's not just because of who their opponent is, but because they're coming off another emotional win on a short week. 
I, I think they've got some of the mentality to deal with this. I think they're they're starting to get immune to those issues, but it's still going to be a huge challenge for a young team to play four days after such a victory as they got on Sunday and do it on the road. I've heard several players within the building state that they know every game is do or die regarding staying alive for the playoffs, and also several players detailed that their game as a playoff game. So I think they're removed from the point where it's it's just too much celebration and not enough preparation. And with, I mean, they know every game is on the line. You know, that the AFC South division titles on the line, their playoff shots on the line. So I don't see them not capitalizing here, especially in a primetime game after such a huge win on Thursday night. Um, I, they also, I believe, have the underdog label right now. And I think one of the things, earlier this season that was making me nervous about the Jets matchup was James Robinson them and from what I've heard he's not going to be a factor playing at all so I think that's an advantage to the Jaguars yeah I was definitely afraid of that as well um James Robinson uh definitely seemed like he was ready for week 16 I mean he even put it out in his uh little farewell message he did and unfortunately i mean you can you can be upset with jacksonville for trading him away i think that's fair but at the same time i think jacksonville wanted to get him to a team they thought would start him thought could actually give him the role he deserves which is to be a number one running back and the jets have had no intention seemingly of giving him that i'm not saying that like zonovan knight is not done well but it's James Robinson. This is one of the better running backs in the NFL. It is asinine to start someone else over him that isn't like a first round pick or one of the better backs in the mm-hmm. NFL. I just I can't understand that. I would understand it even if they just split the roles there again. But for him to not even be activated for some games is insane to me. Um, but Going off of the uh, the James Robinson tangent, I feel like the Lions game was a huge wake-up call to this team because they saw this is what it looks like when you get too mm-hmm. emotional. Teams will hit you in the mouth. You cannot just get away with it every week. And Jacksonville has not been able to get away with it every week. They have been punished throughout the season for getting too emotional or for underestimating their opponents. Their record would probably be already a guaranteed winning season right now if they didn't overlook teams earlier in the year, like the Texans or the Colts. You know, this would be a very different season right now, and we'd probably be talking about clinching the playoffs after this week. But we're not there, and, you know, that's that's some of the reason why. But I think this team has the mental fortitude to overcome this now. And you already heard on Sunday, just right after the game was over, that players were talking about the Jets matchup. They weren't celebrating. They're keeping themselves grounded. And yeah, you've got to have some joy over what's happened. And they'll have a little bit of time on the bye because they'll have a long week. But I think they understand now. And I think this team also wants a little bit of revenge for last year because the way they lost was bad. And Jets fans, uh, not all of them, but some of them have been talking a lot of smack. Um, 
and personally, the way I feel for us, the Jets, the Lions, we all just got to band together and be friends. You know, we've all gone through enough. We don't need to punish each other. But um, most fans disagree when they uh, they're the side that has. Yeah, with the rise of several teams that have been in the dungeons for a number of years now, I'd say that'll probably be pretty short lived as we'll be facing each other a little more frequently in the coming years. Yeah, we play the Jets like every year already. The Lions are not as much, but the Jets, yeah. The NFL gets that yearly showdown on the schedule. So, yeah, well, we will go ahead. We're going to move forward to the week to come and talk about this upcoming game. Big game for Jacksonville. They're going to be taking on the Jets on Thursday Night Football. Um, As of recording this, we're two days out from it. You'll be hearing this the day before the game if you're watching it when it releases. Um, this is going to be a very interesting game. Um, it's definitely not something to overlook. I think an element in this that uh, I don't know if it'll get missed, but something I'm definitely keeping my eye on. This is probably going to be Zach Wilson's like last big chance to set himself back in the spot of Okay, this is our franchise quarterback. This is who we're building around. Rather than, this is our franchise bust. We screwed up this pick, and we have no idea what to do now. He is playing for his career on Thursday. And he gets to play the guy who was drafted before him, Trevor Lawrence. And if he can win this game, I think he kind of gives himself a chance to keep the role again and to try to revitalize his career. Because when you get benched in your second year as a rookie, your career is uh, not going very well. I would agree. I think you could probably say the same thing regarding this last week. Because Zach Wilson was in last Sunday and they lost. I can't remember to who. But I one of the biggest things that happened was he seemed to lose the locker room that week where they put up three points and one of the media analysts or reporters asked him if he let the defense down and he said no and I would just say between him and Trevor Lawrence their maturity is in like two very different places Lawrence being way more mature and Zach Wilson being borderline and just refusing to grow up so I'm not saying to you know obviously don't underestimate the Jets prepare accordingly you know analyze what you're up against on both sides of the ball and find weaknesses and, you know, ways to make plays. But I don't, I'm not as concerned about the quarterback regarding where the two teams are at because the Jets have kind of lost, they've had some wind in their sail. And I think the Jaguars have a lot of wind in their sail right now. So that gives me hope and confidence moving to Thursday night. Yeah, I do think that the quarterback matchup is not even going to be close. But I do expect to see Zach Wilson make a few plays. Um, I just think he is also a guy who's going to throw an interception or give the Jaguars' defense a chance it needs. And the these teams are in very different places right now. Jacksonville is a team on the rise. They're a team that started 2-6 and six and is talking about going 9-8. and eight. If they finish this season the way that they expect to, they went six and one in the last stretch of games. Six and one. That is really good to uh, to put it bluntly. And 
they beat a lot of playoff contenders in the early stretch of that. Um, I don't think Tennessee will finish in that category, but right now they are the fourth seed in the NFL playoffs. And Baltimore's in it, and obviously the Dallas Cowboys just got locked in on Sunday night because of the Giants' victory. So, you know, you've got Jacksonville, which is in a very different situation, and you have the Jets who they peaked early in the year. They seemed like a surprise team, and then they came back down to earth when the problems started to show, when you started to realize once again, okay, Zach Wilson was not a good pick at second overall. So I think these teams have very different trajectories. But um, along with that, there are some things to be concerned about. The Jets' defense is one of the best in the NFL. They're top five in least yards and points allowed in games. Um, They've got Sauce Gardner, who will probably end up neutralizing one of the receivers. I don't know who, because I don't know if they'll put him in the slot on like Christian Kirk or if they'll put him on Zay Jones. But one of the receivers is probably going to be neutralized on Thursday. Unless they're flipping him around. My guess would be Christian Kirk. Yeah, that's who I would want to target too. Um, The good thing, though, is that the Jets' offense isn't really in a great spot. They're middle to bottom of the pack. I think uh, the big thing will be the run game. If you get Trayvon Walker back, that's going to help a ton there. They should be able to neutralize the run all right. And the passing game... The, the Jets have receivers, but Jacksonville has two really good outside corners now, in my opinion, and where they're probably mm-hmm. going to find success is going to be in the slot, which I, I would guess is maybe Elijah Moore, but I think they're playing him on the outside more anyway, and he's sort of not had a huge role with that team. So I don't know who their main slot guy will be. I haven't followed them that close. But they'll have uh, they'll have some advantages in that position. It'll be an interesting game to watch. Yeah, for sure. And uh, if the Jacksonville Jaguars are able to win this game, it's going to do them a lot of favors because they're going to get a long break. Um, they'll have to take on Houston 10 days later, but they get extra time. And it's even possible if Jacksonville wins that they could be guaranteed a shot for the division title in Week 18 if the Texans can beat the Titans. Because what that will do is that will set these teams at the same record, and if Jacksonville loses to the Texans, and even if the Titans beat the Cowboys, Jacksonville can just beat the Tennessee Titans the next week, and they would tie in record, and they would hold the tiebreaker. So it could provide a very interesting scenario where teams are questioning whether they sit players or if they start them. I don't think they should sit them, but it'll be interesting. For sure. I definitely think the Texans are going to beat the Titans. I kind of see that after these last two close losses, and I feel like this has the potential to kind of be like the the last game in the regular season between the Colts and the Jags in the 2021 season. And, and I think the Texans have a great opportunity here to make the third time the charm. Yeah, I could see that. And we'll actually, um, with that, we'll transition over to our um, predictions for these upcoming games. Because that's the first one I've got on this list. I think that the Titans are going to win it. And why I say that is two reasons. One, I don't know if they're going to lose five in a row. I think that's asking for a lot. 
And second of all, um, I just I can't underestimate them. I even if they seem like a team that is terrible right now. I mean, they are clearly a locker room that has no answers to their problems. They have no clue what to do right now. Even with that, I can't underestimate them because they've won this division every year. They're still in first place and they're going to know on Sunday how important this game is. They I mean, they have I guess they don't have to win the next two. But, I mean, you sure as heck want to. You need to fix your problems. If you're going to lose, say the Titans just lost to the Texans and Cowboys, but barely beat Jacksonville in Week 18, what's the point? I mean, you just do that so you go 8-9 and nine and you make the playoffs and immediately get eliminated? I mean, they have to fix their problems earlier. And this is the point where it has to happen. If they can't start approaching what's going on, and fix that offense, fix that defense, gets, I mean, a lot of it's injuries, but try to get some players back, um, get some dang confidence, they're going nowhere. Their season's over if they can't fix it. And the Texans game is going to be a huge point for the Titans. So I just, I can't, um, I can't predict against them. There's just too much at stake. Yeah, it's crazy to think, but of the three games left on the Jaguars' schedule for the remainder of the regular season, I'm starting to really truly believe the Titans, not to overlook anyone, but the Titans might be our our uh, easiest matchup. I think Houston's going to play us incredibly hard. Yeah, I, I understand why you're saying that, but I can't say that myself. I Even if it's true, I will not, not say that, because that game is going to be for all the marbles, regardless of uh regardless of what Tennessee does pretty much I mean the only way it's not all for the marbles is if we collapse and that team yeah we beat them we beat them in good fashion but they still to some extent have some control and I think they could bring it all into that last game but I think uh I think they're finally realizing that Jacksonville's right behind them. They actually asked a lot of the players in the locker room after the game on Sunday in the loss in uh, Los Angeles. They asked them how they felt about Jacksonville being one game behind, and most of the players didn't even know. They weren't aware. They, they had no clue. They legitimately thought that they were just gone. They had won the division, and it's just not the case. Not at all. Jacksonville's crawled back into it, and I think they're going to start waking up, and um, we've just got to put them back to sleep, <laughs> you know, uh, give them some aesthetics. It's really kind of strange. It almost seems like kind of an entitled mentality that that locker room has really instilled in those players to where they don't even know how close their opponents are to them in their own division. I mean, that's really, to me, that's just disrespectful. I mean, it really just sounds disrespectful. And as if the Jaguars needed any more motivation to, you know, go and do the job twice and finish them off, they might have just gave it to them. It's just incredible to think that, that the Tennessee Titans, you know, the fourth seed right now, were not aware of that. Players in the organization were not aware of that or paying attention to that. I just have to wonder yeah. what went wrong. They are a very entitled franchise as of the last few years, especially. And when it comes to a lot of their games, 
um, in recent history against not Houston, but Indianapolis and Jacksonville. They've essentially been guaranteed wins. They felt like they felt like they don't have to show up. And we saw it when they hosted us in Nashville, where there was no respect given to Jacksonville and they got slaughtered. They got embarrassed because of it. That team's mentality is awful right now. It is nowhere near where it needs to be. Um, I just, the only thing that keeps me back is just, you know, who they've been. But I think Jacksonville will get it done. I think they'll beat them that final week. But I don't think everything's going to be locked up after week 16. Um, I just, I can't see that. But I'm going to be rooting for it. If Jacksonville wins on Thursday night, yeah, I'm going to get myself a Houston Texans hat or something. You know, maybe I'll just say I'm supporting Baselli. That'll be my excuse. Um, but yeah, we'll move on to the next game. Chiefs and Seahawks. Chiefs are hosting that one. Who do you got? I have to say the Chiefs. I just I don't see a way that they lose to the Seahawks with the Bills leading the the AFC. They have the first seed. They you got the Bengals creeping in to the picture, and they still got a chance to to get the first seed. And they would have the uh, that well, they've defeated Kansas City on the year recently. It's like Kansas City's it's too much, and they cannot afford to lose to a team like Seattle this late in the season. Plus, they've been taking a lot of flack over this last week after losing or uh, coming close to losing to the Texans. So I think they're going to try to put that behind them and rekindle that late season fire they always seem to have. Yeah, I think that the. Uh... I think the Chiefs should win, but this would be a game for me that could be one of the upsets of the week. Seattle is seven and seven right now. They're they're a team that actually believed they were going to make the playoffs this year against all odds, and they've had a winning record for most of the year. But they've kind of fallen off recently. They still have a really good roster. They've got a good quarterback, surprisingly, and I think they can still point their way into the postseason. So this game, I think it will matter more to Seattle, and it's going to be difficult being on the road, but I also expected the Chiefs to put it together before the Broncos game, and they didn't do that. Um, I can't, who did they lose to right before the Broncos game? I can't remember who it was. Yeah, they lost the Chiefs? in uh, week three. Um... Ooh. I've actually got to look this up because I know I they know were. Gonna, if I remember, they yeah. lost to someone, and they were going to take it out on uh, Denver. Apparently, was the idea. They lost to the Bengals. That's who it was. Yeah, the Bengals was who yeah. I was going to say was the most they recent one they lost all to. Year for that game, and they lost that game, and so they were really angry after that, and then they nearly got beat by Denver, and then they played the Texans. And they nearly lost to the Texans. So I, I'm not saying that Kansas City is not a threat. I'm not saying that they aren't a really good team. But that's extremely concerning as a franchise when you're playing that close to those teams. Kansas City, um, mm-hmm. they've got to take care of business. But based on the trends that have been taking place recently, I think that Seattle could upset them but I'm still going to choose Chiefs. I'm still going to expect that. And I will still be a little surprised 
if Seattle wins that game. So that's where I'm at on it. The the next game is Vikings and Giants. Vikings will be hosting. Um, I think in typical fashion this year for the Vikings, this will be an extremely close game. I think they'll win a nail biter, but um, this could go either way with the way Brian Dabble's coaching his team. He's he's doing a heck of a job with a team that just shouldn't have been competitive this year. I'll put it this way. I don't see the Vikings falling 33 points behind in the first half in this one. If they do that again and repeat what they did last week, that would be insane. But I would say overall, the Vikings have more firepower on both sides of the ball than the Giants do. And I think that'll be the difference maker is just kind of just out-muscling and out-powering them at the end of the game. I do believe it'll be close, but I, I think the Vikings win. Yeah, I think they'll get it done, too. They do have a better roster. They have really good coaching, but um, it's just their proclivity to play games close. That's the only thing that concerns me. And uh, You know, the Giants have won a lot of close games, too. So this could be a sneaky game for one of the best ones of the week, um, just based off of how clutch these teams have been. Um, the next, the mm-hmm. second to final game, we'll talk about 49ers and Commanders. Commanders will have a big challenge. They're going to have to travel out to the West Coast, and they're going about the maximum distance for travel you can go because they're in Washington, D.C., not Washington State. So they've uh, they've got to go a while. Actually, you remember, or do you ever see that uh, the Commanders store was selling Washington Commanders gear on mugs? That had the state of Washington in the background. I don't remember. Yeah, you should look that up. They are uh they're a very interesting organization. I could use another um description, but they like money. And they're uh not very good at marketing apparently, because uh I don't know if you knew, but they aren't in the state of Washington. <laughs> So that was that's, one of the funny things from a That's incredibly year. interesting. <laughs> yeah, so uh, yeah. I don't think any fans uh, bought that, thankfully. No one got ripped off that bad. But yeah, that organization, I feel so bad for their fans. I hope they just get a new owner and can reset because they deserve so much more than what they've been given recently. Um, I do think of this game. Even though the Commanders are fighting for a little more because it's more so making the playoffs than what the 49ers are going for, which is seeding, um, I think the 49ers are just the better team. And they're going to have the home field advantage. They've got the West Coast advantage. And for a team that just struggled against the Giants last week, I don't see the um, Commanders being able to overcome all that and win. Yeah, I'm with you. Actually, what's incredible is if the playoffs started today, the entire NFC East would make the playoffs. Like, when do you ever hear about that on any season? And I think one of the biggest reasons, that's still the picture right now. Hmm. They would all make it in the NFC Conference. Uh, It's The 49ers are rolling. It's hard to bet against them. I mean, Brock Purdy's playing good football still. It wasn't just a one-hit wonder against Tampa. I mean, he proved it again this weekend that he's capable of stepping up and doing the job. And there's another reason I feel like the Commanders will lose and we'll be familiar with this guy. But 
it always seems that no, ma- no matter how unlikely it seems for this guy to have another chance to start, and when it seems like the door is not going to open again, Carson Wentz finds a way to become a starter again. So I don't think he's done. And I think that, honestly, I've heard rumor around the league that the commanders and Ron Rivera, their coach, would be looking at giving uh, Carson some consideration if they should lose this Seriously? game. And Henneke would be on the hot seat. Yep, that is a thing. Wow, that's a that's a change of stance because they just said like weeks ago that this is Heineke's team. That's mm-hmm. that's uh <laughs> not very good. They're a bit on they're a bit unstable. Yeah, that would be one way to describe that franchise. Um the final game, uh the game that would have mattered a lot more if not for what Jacksonville did is Cowboys and Eagles. Um this team this matchup will be really good and unfortunately it might be a little inhibited because Jalen Hurts will probably not be playing but he's still got Gardner Minshew starting for them if uh, that's the case and I know he can play pretty well he can step up Um, but this game is going to have almost no impact on the playoff picture I don't Mm -hmm. think there's anyone who's going to reach the Cowboys for the fifth seed and the Cowboys are not going to win the NFC East. That's pretty much done at this point. Philadelphia, I think they would have to lose out. And I it might even be clinched at this point. I haven't checked, but they're three games ahead of the Dallas Cowboys. And they won the first game against them. So the game's not going to have a lot of importance as far as seeding. But I know Dallas has been preparing for this game. They sure as heck talked about it a lot before facing Jacksonville. And um, that didn't do them very well. But um, I think that they're going to win this game. I think they're just going to be too angry. I think there's so much to take out from what happened last week. I I think they're going to go up into Philadelphia and and just win. You know, get some hype up for the playoffs and, you know, probably exit to Brady in round one. Skip Bayless was saying in his uh, reaction to the Jaguars taking down Dallas that he felt that Dallas had this Philly game circled on the calendar from the last time they lost to them, and that's pretty much all that they've thought about, and they've overlooked all these teams like Jacksonville on their way there and felt that their record could be better. But, yeah, I have... uh, Regardless, for me, it's it's a toss-up. If Jalen Hurts starts, I'm taking the Eagles because I think Jalen's with Mika's jabs at him or Micah's jabs at him uh, a week ago, questioning whether he's really as good as it seems. I think he's he's taking that one personally, and and I think he's going to be fired up to really destroy that defense in that case. If he doesn't start and Gardner Minshew's in, I'm taking the Cowboys. I I understand the Jaguars' love for Minshew and Minshew mania, but I think the guy's pretty far removed from the last time he started an NFL game. And though the Eagles got a lot of weapons, it's kind of I'm not saying it's impossible. I'm just saying with that and to consider the anger and rage the Cowboys are going to have coming in after this last week, it's it's hard to see Philly topping them even with the record if Jalen Hurts is not starting at quarterback. Yeah. I'm right there with you on that. I just, I don't think Hertz is going to start though. I think what one thing you can guarantee is that if Minshew starts, there will at least be one Jaguars fan 
on social media who says, look at what we could have had. And that guy will oh, yeah, there always is living under a rock for a while. He needs to like get the good news, you know, that we've got a franchise quarterback, one of the best in the NFL, so he can, you know, actually have a smile on his face. But um, I feel like you can guarantee that one. That will probably happen on Sunday if that's what ha- if that's how the depth chart goes and the Hurts injury is. <laughs> well, we'll make sure to keep the fans like that in our prayers. Also, the ones that want Bortles to unretire and come back. I mean, if if uh, Bortles unretires and comes back and gets a Super Bowl ring, I'm all for that. He just that's true. It. Just not starting. I'm yeah, not starting. That's my point. That's that's are... that's the motivation. That's the motivation behind what I was pointing out. Yeah, it's sort of like uh, when you have been away from your ex for like five years, and you start to think they were uh, different than <laughs> what they were. Oh uh, man, feel like that. Except Blake Borles is a good guy. Um, so, yeah, yeah. We'll uh, nearly ran we'll... over my daughter on a bike one time, but he's cool. <laughs> yeah, it might be too long in the story to fully describe, but we did, uh, we'll just say we spotted Blake Bortles on Jacksonville Beach when we went down there earlier this year, and uh, he nearly ran over Josh's daughter, who was screaming in the background earlier. So, um, we'll go ahead, we'll wrap this up with our last section, what went right. So, if uh, Jacksonville is able to head up to New York on Thursday and defeat the New York Jets, what went right? Honestly, replicating the success they've had against top-notch defenses. I mean, now against Baltimore uh, um, this last week against the Cowboys. I mean, those were two of the top-notch defenses in the league. You got to control your time of possession. Don't fall behind. Create turnovers on on the defense. Feast on the Jets' less-than-ideal quarterback crisis right now and put them under some pressure. I think getting Trayvon Walker back is essential, you know, so he can contribute on defense and make plays that he's capable of making. That and just making sure to play complementary football. Everyone's on the same page, working towards the same goal. And uh, just have that same confidence, swagger, and embrace that new identity that that locker room is experiencing. Yeah, I think those are all really good points. Um, If I had to keep it in one sentence for myself, I would say that the defense was able to end drives, force turnovers on errant plays, and the Jaguars control the momentum of this game. I think the worst mm-hmm. thing that can happen for Jacksonville is for Zach Wilson to have literally any life in this game. Because we know if he's going to put anything back out on the line that he has left in his career, it would be on Thursday. And I think Jacksonville just needs to capitalize on the bad throws he's going to have. I think they need to shut that offense down. And um, the Jaguars just need to be who they are. They need to prove that they aren't a fluky team. They aren't lucky. That they are a playoff contender. Because they can do that on Thursday. We talked about, I don't know if it was on the show or just outside of this, but you know, there's a four or five day window where the Jaguars could go from five and eight to seven and eight. We got the first part done. We got the probably much harder part done. Not saying that the Jets are easy at all. I don't think they are. But we could be there on Thursday, and hopefully we are, because we're going to be feeling a lot better if we get a big break from this, and we're preparing for Houston early, and we're 7-8, and eight, 
and we could even have a guaranteed chance to go win the AFC South in Week 18, depending on how the Titans game goes this week. So that's how I feel about that. I think that Jacksonville can win this game. I think they will, but um, it's not impossible to lose this game at all. Jets are going to be hard. I definitely agree. I think we got a great shot Thursday night, and I'm looking forward to watching it. I think That's the Jaguars the Jaguars have a lot of swagger right now, and the belief is and, – and what their ceiling is is, is just like, the, like we were talking about earlier. There just seems to be no limit, and I think every player is stepping up to bat for the team right now, and it's so cool to watch. Yeah, and to be fair, I don't think there's many playoff teams that have a, a limit in the playoffs, but Jacksonville's definitely not one of those. The way they're playing right now, I, I don't see where they could go into a game in the playoffs if they make it and, and lose, for sure. I think they're given a shot in every game, and they, they control it. With the way they've been playing, so, I'd be inclined to agree. Yeah, for sure. Well, we appreciate y'all joining us today for the latest episode of On the Prowl, presented by Cardiac Cast. Keep the faith, Duval, and we'll see y'all after week 16.